listening to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello, hello. Welcome to the People's Poetry Podcast. This is Series 8, Episode 1. It's been a while, hasn't it? I hope everyone's well. You may have noticed a few changes to the podcast, the main one being our snazzy new theme and all the sounds in general that you're going to hear throughout the episodes. Well, I thought it time we had a rebrand with our own original piece of music, so who else do you turn to other than the musical poetry legends that are Charlie and Jake of the Open Collab? Amazingly, Charlie constructed the piece using parts of my own voice taken from previous episodes and turned them into the track mind blown i think when i send her my video she'll be putting together a video on youtube detailing the whole process so i'll definitely be watching that massive thank you to charlie go and check out more of their work over on their instagram at charlie and jake music on twitter it's at charlie and jake two that's the number two and obviously go and check out the open collab project I've got the open mic segment back in full flow this series and so many brilliant poets answered our call for series eight. Thank you to each and every one of you that submitted your recordings. It's always such a highlight of my day when I sit down to listen to them all and whittling them down to the four or six pieces for the series is no easy feat, let me tell you. So after a bit of a break, we're back with another group of incredibly talented poets. Thank you for sticking with us. I hope you enjoy listening to series eight as much as I did recording it. There are some very honest and open conversations this series, a real insight into the works of our featured poets. This episode's open mic superstar is Georgia Luckhurst, and this is their piece, Jealousy. Hi, I'm Georgia Louise Luckhurst, and this is a poem called Jealousy. I'm a brick to oak tease, wet and apolitical, sewing you the robes of a Carmelite monk. I want you less remarkable, Bright things swaddled in flat umber, lost astride the bark of anonymous ash. I'm all girl for you, kitten on a ferris wheel, nauseous lurch of attraction when you lift your shirt to scratch your back. The delicate balance of my plasma's gone to pot. It's steel ground glitter in there, lust screams carried in green bubbles. Soft-shoed, assailable me in the ash end of a lampless alley, flaring the challenge of you firework tall breaching me in the night. You're teeming with spring illness and I want to lace your eye with my tongue's laborious dew. Sunlight gumming your pink glaze. Kiss me. I'll hang around your neck like a sign saying hazardous waste. This episode's featured guest is the forward prize-winning poet Stephen Sexton. I spoke to Stephen about his latest collection Cheryl's Destinies out on Penguin the notion of escapism and video games and virtual realities crossing over into poetry. Enjoy. This episode, I'm joined by the incredibly talented Stephen Sexton, who is an award-winning poet and has a new collection on Penguin Poetry called Cheryl's Destinies, which has been shortlisted for the Forward Prize for Best Collection. Amazing. So how are you? I'm fantastic, Jimmy. Thanks, uh, Thanks for having me. It's lovely to have a chat with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I was just talking about how these conversations go, and I like to start off each episode not asking you when did you first write poetry, but can you pinpoint the moment or remember the moment when you were first aware of poetry? Maybe it was a certain poem or a certain time. I, I can I can try. Um, the the first moment that I go back to is a is a moment in in primary school, and I guess I was six seven. No, no, I wasn't. I was a little older. I was, I was about eight or nine, I think. Um, and for reasons I don't totally understand, uh, you know, in the ways that we don't understand the way that's uh, the ways that we are educated, and um, we trust there's a greater uh, greater reason for for what we learn. Um, we were asked as as pupils, as eight year olds, to write a poem. Um, and uh, what I remember mostly about that was. I suppose at that time, when, when someone asks you to write a poem, basically what they expect is something that rhymes, um, or at least yeah. that's what I, I expected. Um, and uh, yeah, I had this uh, really remarkable experience of, I mean, I, I really, what I remember is the feeling of um, 
of having knowing that I need a word that rhymes with you know something. Um, mayfly, I think I was writing a poem about a mayfly. Um, so I needed a poem, you know, you know, a word that would rhyme. And what I remember is the the feeling of trying to find a word, um, if if that makes any sense. I don't remember yeah. what the word was, but I remember this incredible feeling of looking for one, of you know, of searching the relatively small vocabulary that you know eight year olds or nine year olds have. Um, I remember like searching that and scanning that, and, and this feeling of trying to find a word that fits um, fits what I'm looking for. Um, so I guess the the earliest thing I think about poetry strangely um is is a is a feeling is, is a feeling of looking for language yeah almost like a puzzle at that age i guess trying to piece together rhyming words i, th- I think it was absolutely like like a puzzle um i don't think it's a healthy relationship to have with with poetry as <laughs> as, as adults that, that you know that we do um because it's you know it's not it's not a puzzle um mm. it's you know it, it's a way of um describing something or presenting something or making something you know it's not as if um there's a bit missing um, you're, you know, you're constructing um, a thing out of language, um, but certainly for me at that at that stage, um, looking for a rhyme, it felt a bit like a puzzle. That there was something I was missing that I was trying to find. Yeah. So can you remember your sort of writing transition, as I coin it, the the age or the the period in your life when you sort of realised that this is something you were doing that was perhaps slightly more than a hobby, and you were writing lots and lots and lots. Yes, but I think I did have um, a couple of those moments. I mean, uh, that was, you know, certainly a great feeling that I remember being an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old um, in primary school. Um, shortly thereafter, one ends up being a teenager. And one yeah. of the problems of being a teenager is that you've got a lot of feelings and you think people should know about them, um, <laughs> or, um, or or at least that you should record them in some way, thinking that they're special um, when, when they're not. Um, so I think certainly the ages of 14 and 15, I, uh, I, was, I was very heavily, I think, into, into writing, um, you know, difficult, riddling, bad kinds of poems. I, I'm glad that they don't uh, exist anymore. But the, the crucial kind of turn, I think, was uh, was maybe around the age of 20, 21, uh, being, um, being a student um, um, at a university and doing creative writing and having this environment in which uh, people actually wanted to talk about the things that you had written and the things that they had written. Um, and to talk about language and line and metaphor and image and all this sort of stuff. Um, so it, it only really became real for me um, in, in, a, in a little community of people. Um, it, it wasn't a real thing when I was a teenager in my bedroom, nor when I was a, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. Um, it became real among other people. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was my final turn, I think, um, around the age of 20. Belfast is, is that where you grew up? because it's in your poetry a lot isn't it Belfast it, it does show up there quite a lot um, not quite I mean um, I did grow up in, in Northern Ireland and quite near to Belfast but right. um, as is often the place in in, uh, in smaller uh, as is often the case in smaller places um, small distances become really important so mm. I, I grew up in, in the countryside um, like 10 miles outside of Belfast because I was going to um, say where, where you grew up did that was, was writing something that was almost deemed like a secret because I've spoken to people who've uh, you know grown up in working class areas of Derby and myself growing up on a council estate in South London it wasn't really something that we, I spoke about that I did like you said until I found this outlet this community and for you it sounded like university was was that outlet but when you were writing where you grew up was that was there any outlet at all to talk about poetry with anyone no not not that I not that I remember um I mean it's not as if it wasn't kind of there in in some ways I mean you know there's no um there's no doubt I think that I would be you know I wouldn't be writing poems were it not for the fact that you know my dad used to read me and my brother bedtime stories I mean that's involved uh, Mm. in that but but crucially as um as poetry, no, that, that was not there. I mean, you know, it was kind of semi-rural. Um, I mean, my my parents, um, I mean, neither of them had GCSEs or O-levels, I guess, as they were at the time. Um, so they never had this kind of formal education. But, you know, the story is a big part in some, you know, in, I think in many of our societies, story is still a really big part and care about language um, is extremely important. Um, so poetry, no, but all the materials of poetry were there, um, yeah. I think. Obviously, this second collection out on Penguin Poetry, I mean, that, that in itself is an amazing achievement. And I know a lot of people that listen to the podcast, uh, whenever I suggest questions to ask, a lot of them are around getting published. People want to know sort of, you know, how, how to get published. And there's, there's no sort of one answer to that. But I mean, your journey to Penguin must have been 
an amazing sort of poetic journey. I mean, you've had lots of stuff in magazines and you've won various awards. I mean, what, what was it like when, when sort of Penguin wanted your collection? I mean, I, again, I, I can't, I can't articulate exactly what it was like, but I remember the feeling. Um, I, I remember, um, yeah, I remember strangely stirring to an email and looking at an email in the middle, uh, in the middle of the night, um, and seeing that, and then you know having to get up, have a little walk around, and you know, think about that, and then go back to bed. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it's a really extraordinary thing. Um, and I, I think you're, I think you're right. There's no one way to to get towards um, publishing. I mean, I suppose what I did for a, you know, for a long time is is write poems, um, write individual poems, and try to find uh, someone who would be interested in publishing those poems. Um, but sort of building, I, I think, you know, quite slowly and quite carefully, um, I guess, a, a record of publishing in interesting places, um, and always striving, you know, for for places that you really want to. Be in. Um, I mean, mm. I think it's it's true that um, there there are any number of publications. I think most of us would would love to be published in, um, and they're going to be personal and private and specific. Um, but there's still loads for me. I, I you know I hope one day that I, I might get published in. Um, but I, I think carefully, you know, building a, a good publishing record of, of and always trying to write you know better things. I mean, it is uh, it's not you know publishing. I don't think is um, necessarily something that one gets involved in um through luck i mean you do it carefully and, and through making good decisions and um and crucially um although it's uh, mysterious um crucially through writing really 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 good poems um yeah. if you write really really you know not that i'm doing that but if one writes really really good poems chances are um you know there will be many publishers who would be interested in in your work um that's what we're all trying to do is just write a better poem i think yeah, I think obviously you said that there are so many publications out there now as well. And I think people who sometimes fall into the trap of just sending stuff out to everywhere and not really, as you say, carefully consider where this poem's going. And I think reading as well is is vital, just making sure you're reading so, so much poetry out there. The more you read, the better your poetry is, is going to become, I think. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we, we want to be in the language right and uh, and all the various ways that the, the language can be expressed and you know there are yeah many many subtle differences um i don't know what did the poet laureate say um by which i mean bob dylan um know your song well before you start singing um uh, he, he said somewhere in one of the early songs and uh, you know I, so I sort of feel that's true i mean what, what kind of a context are you sending sending your work in what is uh, what is the poem that you're um that you're proud of that you're sharing somewhere where where will it get its best um showing its best representation um i think that's worth considering and, and considering carefully definitely your work is is work that i've only come to recently fairly recently certainly with Cheryl's destinies and the first collection you had if all the world and love were young young if all the world and love yes. were young i cannot read my own handwriting but that that, <laughs> that won the uh forward prize yeah i haven't read it yet but it sounds it sounds really interesting because it won the forward prize in 2019 for best first collection. Sunday Times compared you to Seamus Heaney. And my question off the back of that, I mean, I've read Cheryl's Destinies and I loved it, but because of the, the praise that your first collection got, how was putting together this second collection? Because that, that there must have been sort of in the back of your mind as you were writing this, a bit of added pressure from, you know, how well the first collection had done. Well, thanks very much for saying that to me. Um, thanks. Um, yes, there, there was a different kind of pressure. Um, it's, it's also worth saying, I think that, um, I think some of us work this way. Um, the the first book, um, If All the World and Love Were Young, is um, is very much, I guess, what we might call a, a project book um, in that it's one absolutely you know, fixed um, conceptual uh, idea um, over, you know, it's quite long. I think it's maybe over 100 pages anyway, um, but, you know, quite a number of short little poems. Um, basically, it's based on Super Mario World and mm. it's, it's, it's doing that. Um, so it, it's its own, absolutely its own project. It's not quite a collection of poems. Um, it, it's one project being being written through. It's more of a book of poems. Um, but what that meant was, you know, I was focusing very intensely um, for, for a number of years on, on this project. Um, and maybe you have this, this feeling um, where you're working on something, you've got a very good sense, um, or you think you do, of, of what kind of a book it is. Um, and you write something else on the side because, you, you know, you must and you, you can't stop writing things. Um, but what you know is that it's, you know, these different things, this thing that you've just written, it's not the same project. You know, it's, it's a different kind of thing. 
Um, so basically what I want to say, um, Jimmy, is that, you know, I was working on this project for, for a long uh, time, the project that, won the, that became the first book. Um, but all the while on the side, I was writing um, just loads of individual poems um, on the side. So it wasn't, uh, you know, a case of um, writing a book, finishing a book, publishing a book, starting another one. Um, most of the second book, um, Cheryl's Destinies, um, was was written alongside. I mean, it was it was happening at the same time. I, I just knew it was a different uh, a different kind of project. Um, so it wasn't a you know a, a consequential thing. Um, it was uh, it was more sort of pulling all these these poems together and thinking, what have I done? Yeah. What is this? Um, what, what is this book? Because, um, you know, it, it didn't have this this very strict um, concept or, or idea. Um, it was very much a collection of poems that I'm, I'm pulling together. So the main challenge, I think, was working out, well, what is this um, mm. as a book? What, what is this collection about? What, what are its concerns? What is it interested in? Um, so, yes, challenging, but a, a different kind of challenge. You mentioned the first book, obviously, Super Mario and the world of Super Mario was an integral part of that. And I've I've read somewhere when I was looking online that you've said before that you feel that people's interests perhaps nowadays are not reflected in literature that much. For example, video games, you don't, you don't think uh, reflected in literature. And if it were to be more so portrayed in things like poetry, people perhaps would find poetry more interesting or you'd, a new audience would be open to poetry. Do you think that we've still got a way to go in terms of opening up poetry because one of the reasons I started this podcast was I was sick of people looking down their nose in a snooty kind of way at poetry and still thinking it was very elitist because there's so so much brilliant contemporary poetry around these days and I wanted to you know an outlet to share that on the podcast talk to people like yourself do you feel like there's still a way to go with poetry um yes I, I do to some extent um I mean I, I am interested in in what what a poem can contain and what, what 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 you know what we mean by by poetry i suppose what what it can um what it can contain um i mean i suppose when it comes to video games for example i mean i mean there's there certain you know there are certain um considerations i suppose you know to do with time right i mean 30 years ago um you know, I guess Super Mario, in fact, was just was just coming into being. You know, the late nineteen eighties, um, the the early nineteen nineties, um, it was you know starting to to become a real thing. So before that, I mean, you know, video games and, and poems, they're probably not going to come together because they're not quite part of our you know cultural imagination yeah. um, at that point. So there's there's a, a time related uh, you know consideration. I mean, I suppose what I'm interested in, I think, is um, is the fact that this is a major part. Of millions and millions and millions of, I mean, maybe billions at, at this point, um, you know, of the lives of people who participate in language, participate in our, our societies in all kinds of ways. Um, part of their imagination is formed by digital worlds, um, by by Super Mario. I mean, I know mine was. I mean, mm. we, we think um, often, I think, about where we grow up. And um, certainly for someone like Shimasini, for example, um, you know, the, the kind of you know, the first imaginary places um, that, that he grew up in, you know, rural countryside, uh, countryside in, in rural Derry. Um, those uh, those come into the imagination, they come into the language. Um, for me, it, it happened to be uh, digital places uh, is what started to form my imagination. And I think that's true for, for all of us, that there is this imaginative space. Um, and for for a lot of us, one of the first, of, first imaginative spaces like that is is digital um it is it is the video game um it is the film it is the tv show um it is the internet um mm. so I, I think finding ways to honestly reflect the fact that our lives are partly informed um, and partly designed by by things like video games like the internet i think that's simply an honest way um of reflecting the way that we we grow up um and it, it kind of should be there um the internet is a major force on our lives and our imaginations and the way that we use language the way that we communicate um so I expect that we'll see a lot more of it. Um, that's, that's my feeling. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I don't really see how it's that different to someone like Emily Bronte and, and Gondal and the worlds that, that you know they created and they lived in and they wrote about these imaginary worlds, except we have just got a digital version, as you say. I mean, your Super Mario would have been my uh, Vice City, I think. I remember playing so that. Right. Yeah, Grand Theft Auto. It wasn't necessarily because of the things you could do in it. I just, I loved the 80s growing up and obviously I didn't get to experience that. So that was the only way I could sort of, you know, dress, dress your little man in the fashions, listen to the music. So I immersed myself in that world. But yeah, I completely agree. 
Um, I definitely need to read this after after this chat because I haven't read. The well, first I, mean, book. I hope I hope you do. I mean, it, it occurs to me that um, there's one thing you might you might really like, Jimmy, um, which is something I saw um, just very recently. Um, a poet in in Scotland called Callum Roger, um, who has done an incredible thing called uh, Rock Star North. Um, it's a kind of a poem that is made from the images um, of Grand Theft Auto V. It's um, it's on YouTube, as I understand. Um, but it's, it's, it's this sort of incredible, um, I, get, I mean, in some ways it's a nature poem. I mean, it's, it's like Wordsworth. It's about wandering around um, a city um, or, or specifically the mountains around the city um, and, and thinking about nature and the world and the universe and life and all these remarkable things. And I, I think like your instincts, um, there is, there's a lot there. I mean, that's, that's, mm. that's, that's a, I think, a recognisable and understandable experience is walking around these imaginary worlds and um, kind of being someone else um, yeah. a little bit. That sounds right up my street. I just uh, this summer went to Dove Cottage. I'd never been to the Lake Districts before, so I did my sort of Wordsworth pilgrimage. But there you go, Wordsworth and Grand Theft Auto, can't go wrong. When you're writing about these things, because, as you said, there's, you know, there's not much of this within poetry at the moment there's more being written but do you find writing about these things daunting sometimes because i've seen that you said in an interview as well and i completely agree again that there's no wrong thing can go into your poem and i guess everyone has sort of imposter syndrome sometimes when they're they're writing a poem they think is is this actually any good and it's about having that confidence i guess to believe that this is valid whatever you're talking about but do you, do you still at this point in your career get get to the point where you're writing about something say like super mario and, and think you know this, this is a bit daunting is this complete rubbish frequently yeah um yeah. is it complete rubbish is uh, is uh, basically a model um yeah <laughs> no it, it's uh I, I think that's i think that is for me it's frequently frequently on my mind like what you know what am i doing and, and part of that is because, um, you know, the, the work that I've found myself most interested in or, or most um, proud of, if, if I can allow myself to say that, um, is, is work that I, you know, didn't really consciously set out to do. I mean, uh, maybe, you know, this feeling of, you know, sitting down, writing something, hours pass, three hours pass, four hours pass, you don't quite notice where those hours have gone. And then you look down at what you've been writing over this time. And it's something you could not possibly have imagined um, setting out to do. Um, so what I frequently find myself doing is, is trying to get to that space where I forget what I'm doing, um, you know, to get to the space of kind of pure imaginative um, enjoyment um, and, and energy and, and trying to get there. Um, what that does mean though, is that sometimes you come back to yourself and you think, oh, wow, what, what was that? Um, yeah. That, that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. Um, and I, I think it's true that there, there is no, um, I mean, there's nothing that, that shouldn't be a subject for a poem. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I can't imagine, um, I mean, except for kind of obvious things, um, maybe offending taste and legality and all sorts of things. Um, but I mean, you know, there's no such thing, I think, as a fit subject for a poem um, or really an unfit subject for a poem. Um, but I think it is worth uh, remembering, or at least I often try to remember that, you know, this is not an individual pursuit. I mean, a poem that, that we write, it only starts to make sense when someone reads it, um, when we, you know, bring it back to um, society or community or, or our friends or, or, or our family or something like that. It only makes sense then. And while there's no, you know, right thing to write, to write about, there's no fit subject. Um, I mean, nobody's obliged to read these poems. I mean, we can write whatever we want, um, but nobody has to read them. Um, and, and I think, you know, if, if one is, is too kind of... Um, you know, combative or, 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 or too esoteric or, or is too complex or, or anything like that. Why should someone read it? You know, um, there, there is a kind of gesture here where we, we, we kind of want to share, you know, a joy of language or, or of images or of thoughts or whatever. Um, mm. And I think if it's too complicated, uh, too complicated um, or too obscure, um, why should someone read it? So I'm always interested in, in what this exchange is. You know, we, we go off into our imaginative places, we write something and we come back. It's, it should still kind of say, you know, this is what I did. Um, what do you think? Um, yeah. And if it is too obscure, I mean, well, why, why should we read it? I mean, I, I'm sure we we all have those experiences where you read something and think, you know, that's that's not for me. The Simpsons is coming on. Why should I read this? Um, <laughs> you know, I've, I've got other things to do with my life. I've got to make some dinner. I've got to, um, 
take the bins out. Um, yeah. you know, I, I, it's not important that I, I read this. So I, I, so while I, I think there's nothing um, that is is not fit or appropriate for a poem, I also think you know, well, who is this for? Um, you know, you know, what uh, what am I offering to to the reader? And um, what is this um, exchange or this this moment of intimacy? What's it, what's it like? Um, so I, I'm, that's always on my mind, you know. And I, I think we can we can wonder: um, is this complete rubbish? Um, which is which is a good thing. Um, but once in a while, that rubbish might be interesting rubbish. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm murder for sitting there thinking that. Especially, I've been trying to write a lot more about where I grew up as well. And sometimes you sit there and think, who who actually wants to know about this? But I guess I guess growing up is universal, so there's probably something within within that thing let's talk about shell's destinies obviously the collection new collection that we've spoke about at the beginning of this for anyone who hasn't yet read it that is listening how would you describe this collection that's a fantastic question um jimmy how would i describe it um i would describe it as being i can describe it in how i hope um it it might it might resonate um which is a little weird a little funny um, a little, a little moving. Um, I, I hope. Um, I mean, really, what I'm concerned about um, is 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 time. I mean, uh, you know, I know all poems. Um, I think are concerned with with time, and music is concerned with time. Um, I mean, these are things that that only make sense because they move through time in a, in a certain kind of way. So I'm I'm always interested um, in in what a poem does and what its what its relationship with with time is. Um, but particularly, I suppose. Um, I mean, I'm I'm in in Northern Ireland. I, I grew up here. Um, over the last number of years, we've been going through, um, and the UK has too, um, been going through what we call uh, the decade of centenaries, um, which is to say, uh, you know, it's been 100 years since a, a very significant thing happened um, in in the history of of Ireland, Northern Ireland, and in the UK. Um, for example, in 1912, uh, the Titanic sank. Um, the Titanic was, uh, as you know, as everyone knows, uh, built in Belfast um, in Northern Ireland. So in 2012, we, we sort of tried to work out, well, what are we doing? We're, we're, we can't quite commemorate this. We're, we're not quite memorialising it. Um, what are we doing with, with time? Um, and then, of course, in 1914 and 2014, we had the start of the First World War. In 2016, we had um, you know, the Battle of the Somme, for example, or um, the Easter Rising um, in Dublin in 2018 and 1918 with the end of the First World War. So we've sort of been living through this period where history um, is, is, is very, very present. Um, its echoes are very, very present. Um, and so this book, I think, is, is trying to um, articulate some of that feeling. Like, what is it like to kind of live through these moments again? Um, we're not living through them again, but we're living through their kind of psychic or emotional echoes um, in some ways. So, so this book is, is doing that. It's thinking about um, the poem um, as, a, as a kind of timekeeping device. Uh, not a very good one, um, but nevertheless, um, a device that uh, measures time in some way. And it's, it's written in three parts. And the second part about Billy Corgan and, and W.B. Yeats, which is what drew me to the, the, when I read that in the blurb, I was like, this is going to be amazing. Smashing Pumpkins and W.B. Yeats. And then the third part, how would you describe the first and third part? Because the, the second part is very clear in, in what, what it is, but you've, I mean, this character Cheryl sort of rears her head in the first and the third part as well, doesn't she? right yeah i mean it's uh yes there's a very strange middle section um, as, as you mentioned yeah I, yeah i hope uh i hope there are many more fans in the smashing pumpkins um out there um i personally love them but yeah um, one trusts that uh the, of the venn diagram um of smashing pumpkins fans and uh poetry fans i think that that middle bit's quite big that's what that's what i trust um but uh yeah um uh, so strange things happen in the middle uh, parts one and three um I mean, there, there is a very loose kind of structure in it. I mean, one of the one of the things that also was motivating um, this book um, is a sense of, uh, you know, a real sense of anxiety um, about a couple of things. Um, first of all, um, Brexit. Um, I mean, living where I do in Northern Ireland and living at the minute, you know, fifteen minutes really from from the border. Um, that's that's um, featured in a lot of discussions and a lot of arguments. Um, I mean, the stress that that has caused. To, to people is absolutely profound. I mean, Brexit is, you know, absolutely anxious. Um, it, it's causing a lot of stress and continues to do so. Um, and, and also the other thing that's in the background of all of this um, is 
I mean, what happened in, in, in the USA, you know, over the last uh, number of years, um, that, that strange moment in presidential history. Um, but thinking about these two things together, um, and thinking about how they particularly, I, I think, did damage to language, um, you know, and that's the thing that we we live in, you know, that's, that's what poetry is made of, and, and the ways um, that those uh, political moments were achieved is by doing weird things with language, um, which is to say lying to people, um, deceiving people. Um, and, and so the, the book is, is really, really anxious about, about those things. Um, and there is a strange um, kind of east to west um, sweep that happens in the book. You know, the, the, the first section is very much poems, you know, they're kind of rural, they're about places I grew up in um, here um, in, in Northern Ireland. Um, and, you know, they, they sort of feature typical kind of lyric poems that one might expect. Um, Oh, oh, you know, of, of a certain kind of um, poetic imagination. Then we have this middle section where W.B. Yeats, um, an Irish poet, um, has a long conversation with Billy Corgan, um, an American rock star. Um, you know, so there's this sweep that moves from, from the east kind of across the Atlantic um, and ending up um, in this very strange sort of place where, you know, the third part, I think, is, is quite a strange um, section of poems. Um, there's this kind of gesture moving east to west uh, that happens, um, you know, following the sun, um, which is to say, you know, following how time works. Mm. Um, so, uh, and, and yes, right in the middle, there's this bizarre moment uh, where W.B. Yeats and Billy Corgan have a long conversation. Um, you know, where I'm trying to understand what it's like to be an imaginative, creative person uh, when the lockdown started. You know, what do you do with your life? You know, walking around, looking at your books and your albums and your house and thinking, what do I do? I, I really enjoyed all three parts. And I was, I was just going to bring up certain poems and certain thoughts. And perhaps, you know, you want to chip in and maybe talk about some of these poems. You obviously don't have to talk about them all because there are lots of amazing pieces of poetry in this collection and um, the first part I love I mean the first poem the curfew it, it's a national poetry competition winner that poem isn't it I believe but I love the way it sort of juxtaposes the the animals and the zoo and the, and the trap miners and I think the way you spoke about your grandfather in that poem the bit where I think it's a line that says when he thinks of a pink crumple and there's this glow in the pit I just think the vulnerability of these these men who were obviously you know hard as nails miners uh, I think you've just captured it it beautifully in that poem yeah thanks for saying so Jimmy yeah um I mean it's, it's strange I mean uh, as it happens um a lot of that poem is Kind of invented. Um, I mean, I did. I didn't have a grandfather who was a miner. I did have an uncle who was who was a miner, and in fact, um, he he died um, in in Tasmania, um, like long before I was born, like 20, 20 years before I was born, um, more. Um, but I mean, this this I suppose is is a, a poem that it, it's the first in the book, um, despite having been being written um, a number of years ago. Um, what it uh, kind of describes um, is a, a speaker who is obliged to stay indoors in, in their house um, because of a curfew, um, a, a curfew because um, someone has let loose lots of animals from the zoo. Um, so someone is uh, sort of, you know, passing the time in their house and, and they pass the time uh, by telling this weird story about a grandfather who was a, a miner. Um, and it becomes this, this set of interiors, you know, where there's, there's the person who's inside their flat or their house telling this story. And inside the story, there's a grandfather who himself was, you know, in a flat, but even in, inside this, there is his daughter, you know, the, the pink crumple of his infant daughter's body. Um, and even inside her, there is me, the speaker of this poem. So it's, it becomes this weird set of in, interiors and exteriors. Um, and it's very much the first um, poem in the book because staying indoors for days on end is something that's kind of familiar to, to many of us. Um, and what do we do? We pass the time telling stories um, about yeah. things. Um, we talk to each other. Uh, we talk to each other on Zoom. Um, we uh, go out into the world um, and tell each other what it's been like. Yeah, I think Oh Brother as well in that in that first part. I don't know if you've ever been to Northampton, but I don't they, think I've been to Northampton. But they have a well, they did have they demolished it a couple of years ago. They blew it up, but it was the bleakest <laughs> bus, bus shelter I have ever been in in my life. And instantly reading that poem, I thought of this. Uh, this Northampton bus shelter, because it is very grim and very bleak, good description of the, the bus shelter. But as uh, you've said on, on YouTube as well, it is a poem about compassion. Um, and I think the bit that, that struck a chord with me the most is this 
it's it's the letting people down and and the the movement of life that this poem sort of captures i think the line was up in anchor and drifting apart and there's another section where you talk about life being framed by the windows of high speed trains and i think especially when you get to your 30s so once i got to about the cusp of 30 that's when i sort of noticed you know how how far i had drifted from certain people and not not through any malicious reason you just just because that's that's life and and people do feel let down by that and it is kind of odd but i thought that was a brilliant poem you know and ultimately at the end of the poem he he chooses compassion this this speaker i think so i mean it's it's a very yeah strange sort of poem i mean it's it's trying to i, I suppose think um it's trying to think of that choice between um being kind and being right um i mean the, the where this um poem kind of comes from um is you know it's, it's fairly you know fairly true um in that you know a couple of years ago moving from one place to another i can't remember where exactly um you know i sort of met this this man on on you know both the outward journey and the return journey um who, who didn't recognize me or remember me but um each way he sort of said look i, I can you help me i need a little bit of change you're not going to believe it but my my brother was just in a car accident last night can you can you you know is there anything you can give me to mm. help me get to get to see him and you know it's quite unlikely that either the same brother was in two car accidents um a couple of days apart or he had different brothers or whatever but but even that thought you know why, why is that i'm suspicious of this person um why is my first choice not to say oh wow that's terrible yeah of course um but you know we never want to to feel kind of hoodwinked um and you know bus stations um are particularly interesting places of transit and you know people trying to get from place to place and in various ways um and also i mean what you know what are we doing with poems i mean we're we're selling a fiction um we're we're trying to ask a reader to invest in this um you know do you, you know do you buy it um it's yeah. kind of the the silent question at the end of, of many poems it's like did that work? Um, and uh, and I was trying to you know think of you know that language like that. And again, as, as I sort of mentioned, that many of the major political decisions of the last couple of years are, are kind of based on mistruths um, or, or or someone you know a prime minister or a president in a bus station basically saying you're not going to believe it, <laughs> but um, you know this is what happened. Um, yeah. And 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 we make that choice whether or not to go with it or not. Um, in, in this case, um, you know, it's it's kind of this, um, you know, it's a, it's a title that happens um, in two ways. I mean, it's either O oh Brother, um, in the sense of O oh Brother, where art thou? Um, or it's the very American sense of O oh Brother, like, come on. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, this isn't working. So, so you know, this this moment of exchange and language and story and history and all this stuff um, happening at once as a very true act, um, a very true... Um, you know, depiction of a history or a moment, but also something that's absolutely capable of deceiving us. Um, mm -hmm. and, and perhaps that's what it's designed to do. No, I really enjoyed that poem. The other the other poem I picked from part one, uh, The Impossible, I really enjoyed how you've got these sort of two worlds colliding here. You, you sort of describe this medieval church, but then we've got uh, the skateboarders as well. Do you, were you ever a skateboarder, uh, Jimmy? Do you do you appreciate the art of skateboarding? I appreciate the art of it. I used to love watching it. I used to play Tony Hawk's, but I was just uh, not not the right shape for a skateboard. I think. Sure, and it really cuts into the ankles and the shins and all, yeah. that, all that stuff, doesn't it? Um, so you might know that uh, the impossible, as you know from Tony Hawk's, is is a skateboarding uh, trick, right? It's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's this, um, um, and I, I, I guess from researching it, um, called the impossible because at one time it was impossible no, you know nobody thought they could actually do this where you would mm. rotate the board um you know both on the on one axis and, and you flip it and spin it on the other one so it's this incredible 360 kind of effect um of spinning it but nevertheless it became possible but uh, because people did it um but this is very much a kind of lockdown poem um in the sense that it um you know it's it's a speaker who's going for going for a long walk um about um about the town um in this case uh the city of Derry. Um, but, you know, walking, uh, going for a long walk through this lovely wooded area. Um, there's a medieval church, that's, you know, in its ruins there. Um, and then shortly after that, 
not that you know as the poem says sort of not the sound of uh not the sound of chiseling not the sound of somebody scraping at things um but that incredibly happy sound for me um of of skateboarders like mm. you know, grinding and um and you know hitting um hitting concrete and all this kind of stuff um but it's yeah i mean it's this poem i, I think that ends up um you know with this like kind of political edge to too i think but um but it's mostly about these skateboarders who are just having a great time um you know chipping off things um uh gently wrecking um, some very unpleasant um yeah. you know kind of archaeological um or ar architectural features um and doing that um but yeah i, I suppose it's, it's question is you know when one of them falls over what do they do um you know skateboarders um more than anyone perhaps admire a smooth surface um they they know what um they know what tarmac is. They know what stones are better than most of us, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of imagining, well, what do they do when, um, when you know, someone falls over and breaks an ankle or breaks an arm or something? Do they do they go with them, um, or do they do they all go home? Um, do they follow the ambulance to the hospital, or do they, um, yeah, ride on the road? Um, so it becomes this choice, I suppose, between um, hanging out with your friends um, or going home. Yeah, that sounds was was present throughout the whole poem though of sort of grinding against things and the slap of the skateboard i used to uh, i used to my my skateboarding experience was being able to run up the ramp so i could sit and watch my mates that actually could skateboard that was an achievement for me to get up the ramp oh, that's pretty impressive you know i've never I, you know i've never been on one of those i mean i tried it in a very you know sort of flat bit I, I was never near a ramp um, i admire you for that <laughs> the second part we've already sort of touched upon the the billy corgan smashing pumpkins wb yeats discussing I guess like the nature of their art and and they sort of come together the bit i enjoyed the most i think from that was this this bit where you put a metaphor is only a person trying to be understood at the edge of their imagination i thought that was a beautiful phrase you're very kind to say so jimmy thanks um yeah where did that come from who knows i was just gonna say how does someone think this up this is it's, it's exciting but I, you know, I just I don't know if I would ever have thought of this scenario. <laughs> I think that means you have a healthy imagination. <laughs> um, um, you know, it was. I mean, what so what this section kind of describes is is you know is is fairly true, and that um, you know I remember distinctly in the very first day that you know I, I think. I think we remember that lockdowns were talked about for a couple of weeks before, you know, and, and we were told that this isn't going to happen. Don't worry. You know, this won't be necessary. And then things changed and, and they became absolutely necessary. Um, and it, uh, and it, it, it happened. Um, so I, I remember sort of, you know, thinking I should try and record this some way. Um, and I, I was sitting, you know, looking out a window and I remember seeing an, uh, an airplane going, um, I suppose, right to left uh, across the sky. I don't know what direction it was going. But uh, you know, sort of thinking, you know, that's this, that's the opposite. You know, um, language moves left to right. You know, our syntax, our sentences move across this way. Um, a loading bar, if you're loading a video game or, or an app or whatever, it moves left to right. So seeing this this airplane going across the sky the wrong way, I was sort of thinking, oh wow, okay, this something something major is happening here. But I, I, you know, I sat down and thought, well, if if this is what it's going to be like for a couple of weeks, because I guess we thought it was a couple of weeks, um, yeah. I'll uh, I'll really. I'll really read read some WB Yeats, this this Irish poet, um, and uh, and I love the Smashing Pumpkins. And I, you know, I put them on and I quickly got distracted um, and sort of thought, you know, we're facing a situation where we we can't see each other, we we can't see our relatives, we can't see our family, we can't see our friends. Um, we are isolating, um, and and part of me, part of my imagination, what what it does, I think, faced with a, a certain set of circumstances, um, tries to do exactly the opposite. Um, so. I guess I'm thinking, if none of us can interact with each other, why don't I bring together two people who absolutely can never come in contact with each other? Mm. Um, and, and where the you know where this started to develop, um, I suppose, is you know W. B. Yeats was, you know, he he was around in, uh, in he died in 1939, but he, you know he was around for the the, the Spanish flu. Uh, you know, he was around for many of these centenary events. You know that, that we're now remembering 100 years later. Um, and if you've ever seen a horror film, I suspect you have. You know that uh, 100 years since something happened um, is, is a way of opening time, right? It's a way of opening yeah. this little portal uh, between these two things. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, that Yeats was also interested in is, is the occult, um, lots of seances, lots of automatic writing. Um, and I sort of imagined um, 
that one of the people in 1917, 1918, etc., one of the people that he might have gotten in touch with doing this automatic writing, doing these seances um, via his wife, um, in fact, um, sort of thought, well, what if one of those people was Billy Corgan of the Smashing Pumpkins in 1992 in Atlanta, Georgia, recording Siamese Dream? What if he was the person <laughs> that uh, that they got in touch with? Yeah. Uh, what would that conversation be like? Um, but it, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's all very silly um, and... Um, I think it's, I hope it's kind of amusing and in some ways too, but really this is trying to find a metaphor for what lockdown is like. Um, mm. it's, it's trying to say, but because we haven't been able to do that. I mean, there've been no metaphors for what lockdown's like, um, because it's not like anything. Um, we haven't experienced this. Um, and, and you'll remember, I'm sure people saying, Oh, you know, it's like prison, but it's not like prison. It's not remotely mm-hmm. like prison. Um, and, and people were trying, you know, that's the way that we deal with things is we, we use metaphor to say, well, it's like this, um, or it's, it's just imagine it, as this um, or, or this sort of thing um but we haven't been able to find one because it's not like anything yeah um, so I, I guess what i was trying to do in some ways um is is think there's no way i can tell you what this is like and um, you know there's no i don't know how poems are going to articulate what this is like so the best metaphor for what lockdown is like is if wb Yeats got in touch with billy corgan in 1992 um, um a considerable number of years later and they had a long conversation uh, through the night um about what it is to make art in isolation that's what that's what lockdown's like yeah it's it, it's incredible i mean the whole all, all three parts are you know i'd say this collection definitely celebrates imagination but part two definitely celebrates imagination and also i guess the, the power of narrative and uh, you know how we can escape what's happening around us that's pretty grim through the power of of story and narrative and imagination no i loved it i really enjoyed that bit part three a couple of poems i picked out that i thought were brilliant a short history of happiness i really enjoyed daydream of the jacket i don't know why but the the coconut stanza made me laugh out loud as i was reading that one the butcher i thought was amazing had some really solid imagery in uh, and I also love Kieran Carson, so the last poem. So it is, I thought, was a fitting sort of tribute to to Kieran Carson. Thanks, thanks for saying. So, Jimmy, yeah, I mean, the the last of them, the last of those poems, um, the the one for Kieran, um, yeah, I mean, that that's it's quite a long poem. I mean, it's, it goes on for it's gone for quite a while, um, and uh, you know, he was someone who was an extremely, um, he was and he is um, an extremely important uh, person for me, both both in terms of, you know, his relationship with, with language um, and, and, and his poems and his, his writing mm. and, and all this stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he died in 2019 um, in, in October or so. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I find myself, you know, during this, during this lockdown, um, not because of a lockdown, but just, you know, feeling that this is something that I, I wanted to, to write about. I wanted to, you know, praise um him and, and and his work um so yeah it's, it's kind of a, a a roundabout meandering kind of poem which i, I think is fitting for or i hope it's fitting for the kind of um way that he conducted um his poems and his his conversation um but it's also a poem that, that i i hope tries to kind of sum up um many of the themes that are happening um across the book you know it is about story it is about narrative um i mean i i, I always think of uh, one of the things that um, Susan Sontag, for example, said she she said um, um, only that that narrates can make us understand. Um, she was sort of talking about photographs, um, but I, I think that's I think that's true. I mean, what we use narrative for is to put things in sequence, and to put things in sequence, we try to understand them. Um, and one of the things that metaphor, for example, does um, is it says that this is this, um, and that that's also a narrative gesture. You know, it's 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 like there's this thing over here. And then it's this thing, mm. although that's that moves through space and it moves through, you know, you know, the I don't know, what am I looking at? The sun is a flower. Um, that's OK. Um, but, uh, you know, flower comes second. So we, we've moved through, time. you know, metaphor moves through time, too. Um, and I'm just trying to think of, you know, what do we do with with, you know, with with the elegy? Um, what do we do with um, with things like the lockdown? Um, our impulse is to um, is, is to make metaphors, but we make metaphors so to put them into time you know to put them into sequence um and so you know to to narrate um so this this final poem i i think for kieran um it goes on for you know it goes on for quite a while and um it you know i i guess remembers some things that um are very important to me about him and, and his work um but it's, it's very much also um 
a poem by Belfast, um, which is a, a place that I lived until quite recently. Um, and, uh, James Joyce, for example, is um, associated with with Dublin in a, in a crucial way. You know, he walked around it. He he made um, he made Ulysses um, out of out of Dublin. Um, Karen Carson did similar with uh, with Belfast. I mean, he walked around it through its many strange little entryways, um, through its its history, through you know all that kind of stuff. Um, so this is a poem for for Karen and also a poem um, about about Belfast. And, and what I hope it does is tries to sum up a lot of the a lot of the themes in this um, in this book. Um, you know, a kind of direct address, um, you know, a, a conversation analogy, um, a, 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 you know, a way of understanding place, um, of understanding how you make poems or make art and all this stuff. Uh, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, no, definitely a real strong sense of place with Belfast in that poem. I mean, yeah, I, it made me want to go back and read some more Kieran Carson. He's, he's one of the few poets I actually remember from when I was doing GCSE poetry, because I think, I think Belfast Confetti was one of the, the poems in there. Yeah. Um, it's a marvelous poem, isn't it? Um, yeah. And also and the it, long lines. You I mean I'm I, I didn't I didn't go for lines quite as long as Kieran's, but um yeah, it's a, it's an intense kind of poem, isn't it? Yeah, but because there's not many poems I can remember from school that had a lasting impression, but I always remember Belfast Confetti. I think because of his, his use of punctuation in it as well, it was quite unique. Yeah, yeah. How does that end? Um who am I? Where am I going? Um, yeah. Yeah, a fusillade of question marks. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, powerful stuff. He's he's also one of the poets that I guess when I read um, for all we know, I I'd, I'd never really seen a poet create characters before, and 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 he was quite good at that, wasn't he? Like having again this sort of narrative throughout his poetry with these characters he'd created. Yeah, he was a very talented man. So yeah, Cheryl's destinies. We spoke about it, but to sum it up, I genuinely think. It's like I said, it celebrates imagination, the, certainly the power of narrative. And I think you've said bef about this collection or, or in general about poetry, but it sort of makes difficult bearable. Do you think poetry is the best form of literature in terms of this escapism that we have? Is this why people seem to be buying back into poetry? That's a good question, um, Jimmy. I mean, for me, though, um, I get what can I say? I mean, I. I never think of it um, necessarily as, as escapism. And I, I think maybe to briefly mention the, the other book that I wrote, If All the World and Love Were Young, I think one of the ways that it was understood, because it has a video game um, you know, concept to it, it was understood as being about escapism. Um, I, I, I've never really found escapism to be, to be this thing. I mean, for me, all of these works are about they're about understanding the world that we're in. It's it's not it's not about escaping it. I mean, we're we're in it. Um, I think to escape it would be would be a difficult thing. Um, there are all ways of just understanding differently the world that we're in, not not escaping from it. Um, where are we going? Um, you know, we we can't we can't get out of it. We're we're in it. Um, but I do understand that um the, the sense of being in a kind of imaginative other place. Um, the important thing though is coming back. Um, you can't um you can't escape um. For good, you've got to you got to go into this imaginative place, um, and you have to come back to us. You know, um, whatever your um, whatever these imaginary uh, moments are like, and maybe you have them as I described earlier. You know, where um, you sit down to write something at seven o'clock, and you think, oh wow, well that was great, and then you look up and it's two o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah. how did that happen? Where were you? Um, so I, I do understand that there is, that that can happen where you're in this kind of imaginative um, other place, um, and that that might be like a certain kind of um, escapism. But you've got to come back. Um, yeah. You know, come back and show us what you find there. Um, so if it is escapism, it's only temporary. Um, you know, come come back. Show us, I think, show, us, I, show us what you find there. I think that's a good you know, summary of, of this collection, though, because in between these dreamlike sequences that you have, there is the everyday there, you know, the bus shelter and the, the skateboarders. They're sort of lined with the everyday. These, Even though you've got these dreamlike sequences, you know, Billy Corgan and WB Yeats, then we come back to the, the bleak bus shelter, yeah. It's a brilliant collection. Definitely go and uh, go and read it if you haven't already. I'd like to wrap up the conversation, as I warned you earlier, with uh, a couple of just general questions about um, you as a writer and your, your writing process. So the first one I usually ask is, when you've written a poem in like, its first form and you put it away 
and then you come to the editing stage, what would be the first thing you would do to that poem? It's a great question. Um, try, try to be someone else. Um, try, you know, try to try to separate um, the person who wrote it from the person who read it. And I, th I think that's um, what you're you're describing, right? You put it away mm -hmm. um, for days or weeks um, or months, and then you come back, hopefully as a different person, um, to see it from another point of view. Um, so try to be that other person and try to think: Does this? Um, does it, is this right? You know, does this happen in language? Is this smooth? Are there problems with it? Um, do I know exactly what it means? Um, the first thing I would do, I suppose, is read it um, aloud um, mm -hmm. and, and try to find uh, try to find what it sounds like. Um, as you might gather, I care a lot about music, often yeah. rock music, um, but uh, you know, the, the poem too, as, as well as being a, a, a device um, that moves through time, it's also musical. Um, so I'd read it um, and, and see if it still sounds right. Yeah, I think there's this intrinsic link with music and poetry, definitely. It's certainly my route into to poetry. Paul Weller, I've, I've spoke about him many times before on here, but I think his lyricism for me, you know, it is poetry. I can't really see a difference. I've got to ask then, you said rock. Who's your, who's your top top band? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know what, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, it's one of those things where there's no answer to that, right? Like it changes. changes. Um, I, can't, I can't remember any music. Um, so I, I love the Smashing Pumpkins. Um, but I think, I think when people say that, mostly what they want to communicate is, I don't know, a certain kind of identity or something maybe. Um, who else do I love? I love R.E.M. I think Automatic for the People is one of my favourite favorite albums. Yeah. Um, I love... Uh, one of the albums that I listened to in a way that changed my life forever um, was Neutral Milk Hotels in the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Um, if you know it, an um, utter masterpiece, certainly the masterpiece in 1998, um, but possibly for most of time also. Um, <laughs> just a very, I, I mean, probably a very related album in my imagination. I mean, it takes a very, it takes a lot of strange turns where, you know, there's lots of poems that you know kind of address Anne Frank in them like a very strange kind of um mm -hmm. album um but but a masterpiece um he also I love um an American country singer called Terry Allen he has an album called uh, Lubbock on everything um it is uh one of the most incredible things I've ever heard in my life I will check that out I've not listened to that that is going on the list spoke about editing let's let's go to the the end of the writing process then uh, age-old question for you when is it time to walk away from a poem um i when it no longer um has the wrong kind of texture to it um i mean i, I suppose when, when i think of poems i do think of them um as you know not on not unlike the skateboarder um as, as having textures you know and, and we um you know we can achieve texture in different kinds of ways and we can start in a certain place or you know, you use, um, you use punctuation, you use an exclamation mark to change the register, the tone or the pitch of a thing. Um, I suppose I leave a poem alone when its texture um, is a good representation of what I want it to be, um, which is strange, I think, maybe sometimes to introduce a, a tactile um, analogy for poems, but I do think of them as, as textures um, um, as much as they are, you know, pieces of language and pieces of sound. Um, I guess the way that, you know, uh, sound is um, structured or, or, um, or is, is stacked um, or something like that. Um, I, I think of textures. Um, so maybe, uh, yeah, when the texture is right, um, when the plaster is uh, set the way I think it should be. That's a great answer. This is why I ask these three questions all the time. Nobody's ever described the process like that but yeah no, I, I think i completely understand what you mean by texture last question then the, the broadest of questions and we kind of touched upon it during the conversation already but why poetry why why are me and you sat here still talking about this archaic form of literature why do you think poetry still has this appeal more and more young people as well are, are buying into to poetry the last couple of years in your opinion why do you think that is well um i would gently disagree that that it's that it's archaic i mean i, I think as long as there is as long as there's language there, there's going to be there's going to be poems i mean i mean what, what are we doing we're um we're telling stories we're using mm -hmm. um language to kind of talk about language i mean we um we understand the world through language um and, and what we're doing um i think 
um, is finding a way of refining that um, and and celebrating how interesting and how various um, and how exciting language can be. Um, why are young people um, getting into it more? Um, well, um, when I think of what the internet is, for example, um, and I have a slightly old-fashioned uh, way of thinking about the internet because it's based on approximately the year 1999 or, or the year 2000, somewhere around there. But the image, uh, the internet is basically still text and images. Um, sometimes those images move, uh, sometimes there are videos. But basically, the internet is, is text and images. And I think, therefore, that there's um, a whole generation of, of young people, of 20-year-olds, of people younger, of people slightly older, um, who know that much better than I do. Um, you know, for me, the internet was always another place. You know, it was, it was I mean, and, and maybe you remember this, right, that we, we used, um, you know, we, we talked about it in, in terms of it being a place one goes on the internet, one surfs the web, if you will, um, or, or whatever, right? It, it was another place that was separate from our lives. Um, and uh, and that's no longer the case because we're always online. It, it has come into our lives. But I think for some of us of a certain age, we we know that um, we still suspect that it's a different kind of place. It's not it's not IRL, right? It's it's somewhere else. But for for I think for people who are growing up with it, I suspect that that line is blurred. Um, this is the this is all one place. The internet and one's life is is, is one place. And if you agree that the internet is basically. Um, text and images. Sometimes those images are of cats, sometimes they're of other things. Um, but if the internet is largely text and image, um, I, I, I suspect that there's there's a whole generation of people who know so intimately um, what language is good for, what image is, is good for, uh, what each of them lack, how they complement each other. I suspect there's a whole load of people who know that much better than I ever did. Um, and, and so, you know, when, when we think about language, we think about poems, um, you know, this, this is a whole generation of people who communicate through text, through writing, through language. Um, I mean, I guess sometimes you, you get stories, right? Um, the, the, the media will say, oh, isn't it terrible? Um, no young people are reading anymore. But yes, they are. Mm -hmm. always. Every single message they send to their friends, every single message they type to their friends, they do so much more writing than I ever did as a young person. Um, so it, it doesn't surprise me that um, that there would be a, a massive uh, generation of, of young people interested in poetry because that's what their relationship with language is mm. more than it was ever mine um, as a young person. Um, so I'm delighted to think so, but um, as, long as, as long as there's language, there'll be poetry and I think we're okay. That is a fantastic answer. I've never thought about... You're right about people of a certain age thinking that the internet was a different different place entirely i mean i remember when we when we first got the internet you know it was connected to your landline and you'd, you know you'd be like mum get off the phone i want to go on the internet like you said yeah and it was this different different world where can people find you online uh keep and follow your work and pick up copies of cheryl's destiny etc i have um I have, a, I have a Twitter. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I, well, yeah, I use it a little bit. Um, I, I, have a, I have a Twitter that, that can be, that can be easily found. It's my name, um, Stephen Sexton. It's, it's there. Um, that's kind of it. I mean, you know, if you wanted to really get in touch and please do send me an email, my email address can be found because I, um, I, I work uh, at a university, so you can do that. I mean, I don't know, get in touch if, if you're so moved to do so. Um, but, uh, yeah, Twitter might be, might be the best place. Um, I don't know, I guess I'll keep trying to write poems and, and then um, if you find them, we'll be in the same place. There we go. So Penguin Poetry to get hold of a copy of Cheryl's Destinies. It's been fascinating. Thank you so much for sitting down and chatting, Stephen. Jimmy, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. People's Poetry Podcast. Stephen kindly recited a poem from Cheryl's Destinies called Oh Loveries. Okay, um, a poem about... Um, particularly missing playing uh, playing pool um, during during the lockdown. Um, it's addressed to a very particular um, bar and pool room. And uh, yeah, for my, my friend Dean. Oh, Laveries. Of course they must miss us like we miss them. The spring-loaded cushions and rare vitesse of table six or table 17 of the cursed middle and top right pockets. Or boys dear, one scrappy afternoon become a chalk bewildered after dark, 
sentineling the ward of table five, stuck for hours on free play mode and sainted, where somebody with a physician's calm draws under the supernatural light, the white across an otherworldly cloth, a shade of green my dreams can't reproduce. Who rolls their eyes and falls breathlessly to the all-knowing bank of the possible. My thanks to the wonderful poets that featured this episode. A huge shout out to Charlie and Jake for all of the magical musical sounds you've heard throughout the podcast. Go and check out more of their work over on their Instagram at Charlie and Jake Music and on Twitter they're at Charlie and Jake too. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at People underscore Poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, jbo, that's J-B-O, Pens Poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's peoplespoetrypodcast at hotmail.com. You are listening to the People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Poetry Podcast.